he was starting to get jealous and you know jealousy leads to hate and hate oh, don't worry, leads we'll be... to the dark side <laughs> oh I've, yeah I've loads of Yoda references oh, this, this episode oh, <laughs> not loads uh, maybe two uh, I was going to ask you to give us a bit of Yoda later on but uh, yeah we've got a Hello everyone and welcome to the Council of Elrond, your weekly podcast on all things Lord of the Rings and Tolkien. On the podcast today, we've got a good one for you uh, that I've really been looking forward to for quite a while. Uh, So many people will tell you that a great story is only as good as its villain. And in the Lord of the Rings, we have two fantastic villains. So we've already done a two-part episode on the Dark Lord Sauron. So today we're going to be looking at the cunning conjurer and evil enchanter, Saruman the White. I'm joined as usual by my brother and co-host Dave. So welcome, Dave. How are you getting on? Are you looking forward to this episode? Oh, yes. Very much looking forward to it. It's been, uh, it's been a while in the making. <laughs> mm, it's been, it's it's been, been cooking. Co- it's, it's been, been cooking a while. <laughs> <laughs> so uh of course as always guys please check out all of our socials uh the links are all in the description we have our patreon there as well so if you want to support us that's the best way to do it and thank you to all of our sponsors there and a special shout out to jack knightley so let's get into the podcast hmm. the world is changing who now has the strength to stand against the armies of Isengard and mordor Stand against the might of Sauron and Saruman, and the union of the two towers. So, to kick off today's episode, Dave, I'm going to ask you a, a simple question, and that is, what order of being is Saruman? What is he? What order of being? Right, so Saruman is, is a Maya. He's one of the Maya, just like Gandalf, Gandalf the Grey, and uh, Radagast, and all the other, and the Balrogs, and... What not? <laughs> and yeah, and Sauron as well. And Sauron. Um, very good. Yes, well done. Now, so yes, that's correct. He is a Maya. He also has another title of a being, as you said, a wizard. But what is a wizard in the Tolkien legendarium? Mm, yeah, so they they actually say this in the final episode of The Rings of Power as well. They say he is the one, the Istar. So Istar or plural Istari. Uh, and I think in the Middle Earth, Middle Earth world, they're also just kind of known as wizards, but that's the that's the kind of translation, wouldn't it be? The Astari? Wizard or a wise man. W- yeah. yeah. Isn't it old wise man or just wise man? Yeah, just wise man. I think it's just wise man. I think I think, I think they man, took yeah. on the forms of uh, old wise men. They did. Old, old wooden they did. ships. But, um, they took on the forms of, <laughs> we, we, of diversity. We, we talked about it before. I think it might have been in our previous episode where we mentioned that uh, there might other be people that are, that are conjurers are, are able to use magic, but they're not on the same, like Istari is almost like a, a level, like like the Maya as well. The, the way there's all like God tier and then angel tier and all that kind of stuff. You can't just have like a random wizard because we know there is only five Istari, no. but there might be some random other conjurers of, of cheap tricks. Yeah, I'm sure there could be some other beings on Middle Earth that could probably learn from like under the tutelage of hmm. a wizard like, Saur- like Saruman or Gandalf or something like that. And yeah, of course, as we said, um, the names Sauron and Saruman, we're probably going to mix them up a couple of times today because yeah. I'm going to be saying Saruman a lot. And then you're going to be like, wait, who? Yeah. yeah. Sauron? <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, so he is a uh, Istar, or he's one of the Istari, and you could also say he is a Maya, one of the Maiar. So uh, it gets a bit confusing. I'll try and break it down a little bit now, but also where does he come from, Dave? Who? Saruman. Where does he come from? Yes. He comes from yeah. he comes from up on high with the with the Meyer <laughs> and the and the Valar and I don't know. The they, music of the Ainur yeah, yeah, and they, all that kind of They just stuff. come from the not the void, but just like the eternal sunshine of a spotless mind. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful answer. Thank Beautiful you. answer. Very good. Well, hang on, sorry, no, I have another question that I wanted to ask. All right, like cool. so what, like what, I'm, I'm looking for his origin story. That's what I bought. I want to get I want to get Saruman's origin story. So, um, you might know that Gandalf used to be known as Olorin back in the day. Do you happen to know what Saruman used to be known as? Oh, yeah. Uh, I'll give you a clue. Yeah, I could take a clue. It begins with a C. 
Oh, Karume or Karumo or yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah, Karumo. Karumo. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Karumo. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Sounds pure Japanesey. Karumo. Yeah, it does sound a bit. Yeah, it does sound a little bit Japanese. So he was Karumo the Maya back in Valinor, back in his back in his stomping ground, back in his youth. So as a Maya Saruman was. He was created by Eru Iluvatar, like all the others, in the music, uh, before the music of the Ainur, sorry. Mm -hmm. And uh, in his early days in Valinor, he went by Kurumo or Tarindor as well, is another name he went by. And like Sauron, he was a powerful Maya of Aule. Okay, so we got to see a lot about Aule as well in the Rings of Power because they're all saying... um, Aule's beard! Aule's beard, (laughs) exactly, (laughs) You've got your D sit down. Yeah. Nice. Good job. Um, so Aule was the, the, the smith. He was the Valar who was the smith. And so he was always out smithing, building, creating things. And um, so then Sauron and Sauron both would have like uh, sort of, were kind of like his understudies. They kind of like learned from him. So just very quickly then, what's the difference between a Maya and an Istar? Well, the Maya are the level of spirit beings that are below the Valar. And so Saruman, Gandalf, you said, or even Sauron, they were all Maiar along with Balrogs. Uh, however, Sauron was the most powerful of all the Maiar. And after the defeat of Morgoth, the Valar started getting a bit worried and uh, they were worried about the kind of the new kid on the block. They were like, oh, Sauron, he's, uh, he looks like he's the up and coming baddie in Middle Earth. And so his power was really increasing. And in Valinor, um, Manwe, who was the king of Valinor, basically, the leader, he called a council and he decided, and in that council, they decided that they should send some Maiar as emissaries to Middle-earth to help the free peoples to challenge against Sauron. And the council likely met in the middle of the Second Age, which would have been basically just after the creation of the Rings of Power as well, just for context. Hmm. Um, the council determined that these emissaries, who became known as the Istari, or the wizards, should be, quote, Mighty peers of Sauron, yet they should forego might and clothe themselves in flesh so as to treat on equality and win the trust of elves and men. So that's a little quote there from the Unfinished Tales. I'll be, I'll be reading a lot from the Unfinished Tales today. Um, and uh, that also kind of shows us that there are these powerful spirit beings, but when they came into Middle-earth, their purpose wasn't really just to kind of, you know, to be strong and kill Sauron, it was they were to try and, you know, lead the free peoples and win their trust and kind of be kind of guides and sort of, you know, just kind of shoo them along in the right direction. Like okay. shepherds. So, yeah, kind of like shepherds, exactly. So Karumo, anyway, our, our kid Sauron, as we know him as, um, he was sent to the council by Aule and he volunteers then to travel to Middle-earth as an emissary. He was like, yeah, pick me, I want to go. And so he was appointed and he became the first Istar and he also became the chief of the order. And they were given physical form to appear as wise old men. And their Maya powers were also restricted when they become when they became Istari. So that's what I was saying before. Hmm. Um, now, even before arriving in Middle-earth, Kurumo begrudged his peers among the Istari. So, for example, Olorin, who became Gandalf, he didn't want to go to Middle-earth. He was, uh, he, we know that he actually said that he was scared of Sauron, but he was commanded by Manwe to, to go as the third Istar. So they'd already chosen Saruman and Radagast, and then Gandalf was kind of forced into going. Um, however, Saruman's jealousy kind of started here when Varda, who was Manwe's wife, she's the queen of Valinor, she said that Gandalf was, quote, not the third. So Saruman kind of took that to mean Oh, he's not the third. So maybe she feels that he's actually, he's the third to be chosen, but he's actually number one in, in, in her opinion. So he kind of started to get a bit like, a bit, a bit, get the hump against Gandalf in that, in that mm. moment there. And then Saruman was kind of charged to take Radagast with him as well by Yavanna. Yavanna is the lover of all trees and gardens and stuff. So she forced Saruman to take his little brother <laughs> Radagast, which he didn't want to do at all. And again, that kind of that kind of was the start of the contempt that Saruman had for uh, Radagast. So <laughs> Saruman was just like really, he was like a moody teenager yeah. at this point. Like you just like take your little oh. brother out. Come on, like he he has no friends. Just bring him out for a while. Yeah. <laughs> Let him have some fun. Yeah, yeah. So then Saruman and the other Istari, they arrived in Middle-earth on a ship at the Grey Havens in Linden uh, at around the year 1000 of the Third Age. Hmm. And at the time of their arrival, their origin, nature, purpose, and their true names were secret to nearly everyone in Middle-earth. 
Uh, and so Kier Don, who was the shipwright there at uh, the Grey Havens, he was the only one to know the true identity and origin of these beings. And he chose to give his ring of fire, which is called Narya, he chose to give that to Gandalf, which is one of the the elven rings of power, which he's spoken about so much before. Another reason that um, probably pissed off Saruman as well. Yeah, like, why exactly. Are giving, why are you giving exactly. it to number three? I'm the leader. Well, I'm it, the chief. He didn't give it to him. He didn't give it to him in front of all the rest of him. It was kind of more in mm. secret. But Saruman did find out later. Yeah, <laughs> Saruman found out about it later. Yeah, and that, it, it was it was worse. Yeah. It did lead to his uh, kind of his ill will that he bore towards Gandalf again. It kind of just heightened that, and he kind of just like, God damn that guy. He's always, you know, he's always just one up in me, yeah. getting one better. So then shortly after arriving, Saruman actually traveled east uh, of Middle-earth, as did the two blue wizards. Mm. And he spent about one and a half millennia uh, out there in the east. And then after that time, he came back west just as Sauron's power was again starting to grow in Dol Guldur. So we know that uh, Gandalf said that he never he never went east and he never goes east because, I don't know, a bit creepy out there. Yeah. And um doesn't smell so good down there. And Gandalf's just going around following yeah. his nose. So uh, he's like, don't go east. east. <laughs> Stinks over there. Yeah. So um, again, maybe there's another thing behind that of Saruman spending some time in the east with all those kind of dodgy tribes out there that uh, end up, you know, like the Easterlings and all that kind of stuff. So uh, maybe that's something else that kind of influenced him later. But at this point, he wasn't evil or anything. He just, you know, starting to get a bit cranky. Yeah. Cranky Saruman. He was starting to get jealous. So, and, you know, jealousy leads to hate and Hate oh, don't worry, we'll be to the dark side. <laughs> oh, I've, yeah, I've loads of Yoda references oh, in, this, in this episode. Oh, well, not loads, uh, maybe two. Uh, I was going to ask you to give us a bit of Yoda later on, but uh, yeah, we've got a. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, just also, let's just try and think of some other names for Saruman. Do you, do you know any other possible names or uh, titles that he went by? So the obvious ones, I suppose. Brendan. He went by Brendan when he was yeah. in the east. Uh, Karumo Saruman. Uh, I think I'm I Saruman the the oh S- Saruman the white, obviously, and then Saruman yep. later Saruman of many colors, or correct Saruman and his multicolor Technicolor dream coat or whatever. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, exactly. The white wizard, the white wizard. One. Yeah, okay. So yeah, we- and the, the the white messenger. He was called. He was called the jailer of Mordor by oh. Gandalf at one point That's when cool. Gandalf came back after he had imprisoned Gandalf, <laughs> and then Gandalf was resurrected and came back and saw him again. He called him the jailer of Mordor, and um, he was known as Saruman the Wise. Yeah, and um, you also mentioned Saruman of many colors. Mm. Just to quickly explain that when. Um, he kind of outgrows his white and he thinks he's better than it. And so he makes this kind of multicolored coat, which is kind of magical in his own way. That he kind of was able to break the spectrum of light, which was, you know, mm. not something that people knew how to do back then. And he split white into all the different colors. And uh, he thought he was just the bee's knees. He thought he was class. So um, his last name that I'm going to give you was uh, Sharky. Oh, known yeah. As. I remember that now. Can you can you remember anything around that name? When did he get that name or why was he called that or anything like that? No. <laughs> uh, no, I just, nah. I, I remember us talking about it in another episode before, but Sharky. You sure do. Why the hell? Um, <laughs> so he was called Sharky. Um, Sharku in Orkish means old man. And, and that's the name um, of one of the orcs in, as well. It is. Sharku. Two of the orcs, I believe. Yeah, are yeah I think so, yeah. Um, and... At the end of the Lord of the Rings, what we don't get to see in the films, we get this part which is called the Scouring of the Shire. Right. And uh, it's when Saruman goes and he kind of takes over the Shire. And uh, then there's a big battle uh, called the Battle of the Bywater. And Saruman ultimately gets defeated there. But uh, in that place, uh, he was called Sharky. Uh, by the hobbits. There and by everyone, really. I think he just <laughs> kind of went by this sort of uh, little, it was like, he was like, all right, call me Sharky. I'm not <laughs> Saruman anymore. Right? <laughs> Yeah, he just had a phase like where he just basically yeah, yeah. went down there and he's like, I'm digging Saruman. He's like, I'm going to be somebody else. I'm a vigilante now. Call me Sherry. He's an identity crisis. <laughs> you know, he just he wasn't sure who he was anymore. So um, just to quickly look at that Battle of the Bywater then, as it was called mm-hmm. in the chapter called The Scouring of the Shire at the end of The Lord of the Rings. Um, jumping to the end of the story and to Saruman's demise. Um, well, firstly, Dave, I'd like to ask you, what do you know? What do you remember about his death in the movies. Let's look at that first. Well, in the movies. Can you remind our listeners how he goes out and also let me know what are your thoughts on that scene. Ah, right. Well, 
Listeners, for those who haven't seen the extended <laughs> edition of the the two, t- no, the Return of the King, isn't it? The open- who are you talking to? The, there are no people. There are people that have never seen it. <laughs> there are. There's be. plenty. You should see them on Twitter. Loads of people are like, what scene is this from? I'm like, oh my god, my mind is blown. But anyways, oh, um, right. yeah, the Saruman he he gets his death scene is cast aside and is put into the extended editions where he is basically atop of his tower, uh, exchanging insults with Gandalf the White. Theoden, Legolas, Gimli, and that's it, maybe, um, yeah, uh, AMR as AMR. well, and then basically he shoots a, a lovely fireball down on Gandalf, and Gandalf like completely resists it, and then Legolas eventually shoots, oh no, Grima comes up to stab Saruman, and, and Legolas shoots Grima, kills the poor lad, and Saruman falls all the way on top of a big spiky, pointy wheel thing and dies. Gets nicely impaled. Mm. Yeah. I, I saw uh, a scene yes, the, was... the last day of uh, the actor that plays Grima, and he's like acting out the whole stabbing thing, and then he just like turns to the camera, he's like, you should see me with a forty-five Magnum, <laughs> or something like <laughs> forty-five millimeter Magnum. <laughs> oh, deadly. I love how like, 20 years later, all these all these actors are still just like, that was the greatest moment of my career. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're just still good out about it. But um, yeah, so as you rightly said there, that his scene was was cut from the theatrical editions, which was uh, very controversial, I would say, to have such hmm. a huge character and a huge villain to not have his plot correctly wrapped up. So um, I was looking up stuff about this to see if I could find anything, and I just took something here from screenrant.com. Mm-hmm. So if you'll bear with me, I'm just going to read this little, this just two paragraphs here, where it says, Peter Jackson opted to remove this scene from the theatrical cut of The Return of the King very late in production, replacing it with a short line of dialogue in which the threat of Saruman is revealed to have subsided. Jackson's reasons for cutting Saruman's demise were twofold. Firstly, to pare down a film that was already testing the limits of how long a person can comfortably sit on a theatre seat. And secondly, because of the narrative flow. Jackson claimed in a 2003 interview that the scene was originally intended for the end of the Two Towers movie, but removed in order to wrap up the second film faster. While the director originally thought to place the material at the start of The Return of the King, this created an opening that was more about mopping up past plot threads rather than starting new ones, and so the sequence was cut, with Jackson figuring most viewers would simply assume Saruman was defeated by the Ents. In reality, this editing decision was received far worse than could have been anticipated. Christopher Lee reacted particularly badly to being cut from the final film, reportedly not attending the premiere as a result. This drove a wedge between the actor and director that was eventually healed in advance of Lee's return in The Hobbit. Audiences were left equally unimpressed, wondering what fate befell Saruman after his defeat in The Two Towers, and claiming that a villain of such stature deserved a more fitting end than a mere throwaway line. A petition was even set up requesting the wizard's axed death scene be restored. Under pressure from viewers and legendary actor who sings heavy metal in his spare time, Jackson conceded a mistake had been made and restored the scene in the extended version of The Return of the King, finally making Saruman's death a genuine part of the Lord of the Rings movie trilogy's canon. So uh, that was just a little right. excerpt from ScreenRant.com. So a couple of cool things in there, and yeah. they had a little mention of... a. Uh, Christopher Lee's heavy metal playing as well, which is kind of cool. That's cool. Um, yeah, I had I had heard that before. All right, that it it drove a wedge between the two. Um, hmm. But what I didn't know there, uh, what did you? Oh yeah. So, are you saying that this article is suggesting that this was actually going to be a deleted, deleted scene and not even making it into the extended edition? Because it... that's what this that's what this uh, article is suggesting. I don't know how. I mean, people, you can do your own research, but well, that seems like. A, this just calls for you know Matt from Nerd of the Rings he's talked about he wants to have the Mithril edition sometime you know we've yeah. had the Blu-ray the, the 4K but we need the Mithril edition which includes all the deleted scenes in the archives because we know that there are so many other scenes that were shot like Arwen at Helm's Deep there's loads of extra scenes of the hobbits messing around and Eowyn at Helm's Deep as well Eowyn fighting at Helm's Deep yeah again mm. so, so there's so many that are shot but like probably aren't edited perfectly but just that scene alone at the start of the Return of the King of, of Saruman dying like that, yeah. you know, that's edited to perfection at this point. And I know they probably mulled over it with lots of time and they could have. Well, now I, and all that. I, I don't know how I don't know how much of this article that I would believe. I'd say yeah. that maybe it was a strong possibility that that scene would have ended up in the extended cut because it says that 
it was quite late when Jackson decided to cut it from the actual original um, theatrical release. So I know, there must be um, so many I other scenes imagine. that are just so late but, but, being cut. But it's interesting. Obviously, what happened was the th- theatrical scenes uh, or the th- theatrical movies came out, and then people maybe saw some still images of the behind the scenes thing of Christopher Lee, or they heard him maybe. publicly claiming that he was cut out, and so then the petition was started. And maybe all the while Jackson had in in his mind, he was like, yeah, don't worry, it's going to be in the extended one. So I don't know really what, you know, how it lined up, but it is interesting that, you know, that a petition was actually created to to have him, uh, to have his ending reinstated and to have his death scene put in. I want to see that deleted scene of Frodo where he visions himself becoming like, like Smeagol. You've seen those photographs, have you? Of like, yeah, yeah, I have. Yeah, where yeah. he's all like, look, he looks like Smeagol through his transformation. But that looks really cool, and they definitely put a lot of time and effort into shooting that, and it never made it to any edition of Lord of the Rings. So that's the thing about movies like this of this scale: the amount of stuff that they must spend, like that, are thrown to the, the way, amount so. of money and time that they that that, that they spend, just, like just putting it, like the effort as well <laughs> of shooting some certain scenes. And you you know that scene of of Frodo's transformation, it probably would have been again like a five second yeah. clip of just like Could've him been, yeah. just at different stages, but um, it didn't even make it into sure. that uh, any, any of the, the, the versions. Yeah. And sure. Remember when we were talking to, we interviewed Dallas Barnett on, on this podcast before, and he talked mm. about like, he gets a, a three second shot of just his face close up in the, in the, the, the pub. And he basically said that him and Peter Jackson had, like Peter Jackson directed him to do um uh, scenes of him and the squid, I think, or the squint, like squint, walking yeah. down the street with their swords out, looking for. Oh yeah, they were like they were like chasing. They, they, they had like a chase scene, and they, he had to like bash yeah. into something as well, and like all that. He was had to tough. hop over this uh, car, and do stuff, a little bit of a stunt. That, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, anyways, yeah. to to our listeners, uh, um, send us a message and let us know what deleted scene you'd like to to see appear yeah. in the Mithril edition because I really want Let's that. Get it out there <laughs> and sign the petition as well. It was the Mithril cut. <laughs> yeah, the Mithril cut. <laughs> So anyway, uh, getting back to this part here also and to that scene that we've just talked about, the scene of Saruman being stabbed in the back by Grima mm. and eventually falling down and plummeting to his death. Dave, is there any other fun behind-the-scenes story that you can think yeah. about that happened uh, between Christopher Lee and Peter Jackson during the film? Yes, yes. particular scene? Of course, I was going to mention Would it, you like to tell our listeners? <laughs> yeah, again, if anyone hasn't seen the behind-the-scenes of this, um, Peter Jackson was directing um sir christopher lee of course because he's the director and he's telling him to like get stabbed and go like huh oh and let out a scream but uh christopher lee was like do you know what a man actually does when he gets stabbed (laughs) and he's like basically (laughs) the breath is being sucked out of him because if he's getting stabbed in the lungs he's like the, the breath is being drawn away from him so you can see this in christopher lee's acting he's getting stabbed and he's like oh He's yeah. like taking gas, the sharp inhales, yeah. the sharp inhales. So like that's that's just a a brilliant little little story from Peter Jackson. And, and they were like, okay, this is a man who was in the Secret Service during yeah. the World War <laughs> stuff. So let's just take his word and uh, don't ask any more questions. So let's say they're like moving on quickly, uh, oh. which we're going to do now as well. So we're yeah. going to move on quickly because I want to talk about the death of Saruman, uh, his death according to the books, so not the extended version of the Return of the King movie. Right. So. The death of Saruman is something, as we said, the one that we see in the movies, that's what Peter Jackson came up with, but that's not canon at all, according to what Tolkien wrote. So again, Dave, I'll come to you mm-hmm. and I'll put it out there. Do you remember how he went down in the books? Yeah, so at the Battle of the Bywater, um, I don't remember the specifics, but he gets, I think he just gets overthrown by the hobbits and like all the orcs are getting overthrown as well. And eventually it's the same situation where Grima is the one to, to stab him. And I think he gets stabbed in the back, just like in the movie. Or is it in the dick? I think it might be in the... Was it the dick? I think it's in... Is it in the neck? The, um, the neck. Maybe it's in the back. I, I, yeah. It's, or in the knee. I can't remember. He does a pure Mary on it. And he's like... <gasps> Huzzah! Why am I thinking about... Ah, uh, uh, no. I'm thinking about something weird. Oh, no, sorry. When I thought about the neck, I'm getting my, I'm getting my stabbings mixed up. <laughs> I, it's when, when a lot of people... There's another thing that people ask. They're like, oh, how come... When Frodo's wearing his Mithril vest and he gets stabbed by Shelob, how can you get stabbed when he's wearing his shirt? Because Shelob stabs him in the neck. In the neck. Oh, oh, right, right. Oh, sorry. Right, With her yeah. stinger. Yeah. 
Yeah, she gets him the next. Sorry, that was me thinking of that. So yeah, I think Saruman does get stabbed in the back. But anyway, yes, you are correct. So when he uh, he actually escapes the Tower of Orthanc eventually, he doesn't exactly. He, he, yeah. he negotiates because with the ends. yeah, and he kind of just says, "Look, the keys I've no now. more power." Yeah, he's got the keys to Orthanc. He's he's like, "I'm keeping all your stuff." You and then so Saruman's just like, "Okay, you can keep all my stuff. I'm out of here." And he leaves, and then he goes back and he takes over the Shire in Frodo's absence and all the rest of the buys. Uh, so then when the four hobbits return, they find that the Shire is entirely under Sauron's dominion and he's going by this name Sharky now. <laughs> and uh, so they have to... <laughs> They're like, oh, by the way, Frodo, uh, yeah. uh, some guy called Sharky's taking over the Shire. Frodo just shows up and like, you again? <laughs> Which is- it's like Scooby-Doo, they pu- he pulls off the mask. He's like, this is a Sharky, that's Saruman. <laughs> <laughs> Well, well, if it isn't our old friend, Bluestone the Great. So then, uh, yeah, after losing the Battle of the Bywater, Saruman is stabbed and killed by Grima Wormtongue. Right, mm. very good. So, anyway, moving on. Um, I want to look at another little question, which is, we know that Saruman imprisoned Gandalf at one point, and we know that Saruman always kind of lusted after powerful artifacts like the Palantir and mm. things like that. And he knew, as we said before, he knew that Gandalf had a ring of power because he found out that was one of the reasons he got a bit more pissy at Gandalf. He was like, felt annoyed that he had been overlooked and he was like, I should have got that ring. Why did he give it to Gandalf? So the question is, why didn't he take that ring when he knew that Gandalf had it and he was his prisoner? Um, This is Narya, is it? Narya, the ring of... Narya. Don't be trying to get out of it now and telling me that you know the name of the no, ring. Just, that's, that's nothing to do with the question. <laughs> I, well, it would make a big difference now if it was Vilya or if it was Nenya. Oh, Jesus, yeah. yeah. Um, I don't it's, 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 Did Saruman... I actually don't know. I don't know that one. All right. <laughs> that's a good no idea. He should have taken the ring. Um, it doesn't make any sense. Well, what oh, powers ooh. did the rings of power have? Because what the ring was, was invisible. Main? And Saruman couldn't see the ring, and therefore he that's, was like... That's a good point. Mm. That, that's a good point. The ring was invisible to anyone who uh, wasn't a ring bearer, and yeah. so Saruman wouldn't have been able to see it on his finger. But I'd say he still it was still physically there. It was mm. just kind of, you know, it had some, like, special stealth thing going on. And, sure, Smeagol like, couldn't would even be able see to, like, Frodo when he managed to get the ring off. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He kind of just, like, felt around Gandalf's fingers and be like, there it is now. You what know? are you doing? <laughs> um, so... Uh, but that's not the no. That's not a good. Not, that's that's not a bad answer. But um, so let's just think about the powers that the three rings had. The three elven mm-hmm. rings. They didn't really have destructive powers. They were built more to restore Middle Earth and to heal it and to prolong it and all that kind of stuff. So they didn't want to. They weren't like he wouldn't be able to take this ring and have powers to wage war against Middle Earth and mm. try and defeat Sauron, which was his ultimate goal at this point. Yes. Is the answer because then it would be connected to the other two rings and he didn't want any of that crack as well. He didn't want to be like, oh, but then like the others have me on speed dial. And you it. are almost correct. It's oh. not that it would be connected to those other two. Mm-hmm. It would be connected to a different ring. The one ring. And he doesn't want... Yes. Mm, okay. But, so, but he wants the well, one it, ring let, himself. Yeah, but it's a bit of a gamble. It's a bit of a gamble. So at this point, Saruman definitely wants the one ring. Yeah. So that's his that's his main goal. And he's also kind of aligned himself with Sauron. He's like, okay, I'm team Sauron, you know, blah, blah, blah. Right. And so, but at the same time, he basically, so he's saying to Sauron, like to his face, oh yeah, no worries, Sauron. I'm, I'm your guy. I'm with you. I will be, you know, I will serve you. You will be my, you know, master. Um, but all the time he was trying to, th- he was thinking, I'm going to try and find the one ring before you. Mm. And so he knew that if he found the one ring first, he would possibly be able to overthrow Sauron and he would rule Middle-earth. But if Sauron found the one ring first and uh, then Sauron would have ended up being his servant. Mm-hmm. But also if he had taken the elven ring and Sauron got the one ring, then Sauron would have been like, oh, I can see your mind. I can see your thoughts. Your plan is right. to overthrow me. And so... It like that would have been a huge gamble, and then also, as I said, the power of these elven rings wasn't really enough to really help Saruman in his ultimate goal, anyway. So it kind of just wouldn't have been worth it. Would you not think it. though that the will of Saruman would have been so great that he could prevent Sauron from looking into his mind? Like I know it takes him a long time mm. to first use the Palantir, but isn't that one of the probably things with not the if Sauron probably not if Sauron got his hands on the One Ring. 
Okay. That would probably just make him too powerful for, for anyone. And definitely would have made him too powerful for Saruman, even though Saruman had incredibly strong will and, but, was, you know, all of his powers that he had. But you're not th- would you not think Saruman is thinking, well, if Sauron finds the One Ring first, then I'm screwed anyways, because he's going to be the leader, then my ambition of getting the One Ring is gone. So I well, may as well get a big this difference. One Ring that connects to the One Ring, and then therefore that will help me in my pursuit of it. I don't think it would help in his pursuit of it it at all. I don't think it had because the one ring controls the three the three elven rings, not not vice versa. I know, but you know. But (laughs) um yeah. Um now what you were saying there was that the thing is there's a very big difference between Sauron getting the one ring first and then continuing on as if nothing happened, kind of saying, Now I have the one ring fantastic, and my trusty Sauron is here beside me, he's my lieutenant, he's my first in command. He's still below me, but he's, you know, he, whatever. Mm-hmm. If he got the one ring and was like, oh, this guy's trying to betray me, he wouldn't have taken that lightly. He would be like, well, you're dead. Yeah. Uh, you know, thousand years of torture and misery for you, please, and then <laughs> death. Uh, so, you know, Sauron was not just like, ah, oh, let it go. He's a good guy, you know. So, um, yeah. He was a bad guy. He was a bad guy. So that's the, the story there. But I do want to look also at kind of Saruman's progression into evil and... Mm. How? Why did he hate Gandalf so much, and how did the events play out uh, that led to his downfall? So, we already mentioned a couple of things, like when he was first in Valinor, and that Varda, the queen, she said the whole thing like, "Oh, Gandalf, he's not third. That was one of the first things that kind of got under his skin and made him a little bit resentful towards Gandalf. And then he became, as we said, more jealous when Círdan gave Gandalf the ring ahead of him, and he felt that he was overlooked and that he deserved that ring more. I also mentioned that when he traveled to the East and he spent lots of time with these kind of more, quote, evil people, I suppose, could have had some sort of an effect on him. Although we don't really actually know that. We're just kind of speculating. Then we have the White Council, which was the council that was um, set up. We see that play out in the Hobbit movies. We see some uh, parts of the council. It's where you've got Elrond, Galadriel, Gandalf, Sauron. Uh, and others, uh, Círdan and some other people as well, uh, are on this council and it's all the, just all the highest and best and most intellectual important beings, the most eligible bachelors, uh, basically, of uh, Middle-earth. So, when that was being created and formed, Gandalf was recommended by Galadriel to be the leader, and this was again, much to Saruman's disgust and annoyance, and Gandalf actually refused and turned down this uh, recommendation but Saruman still just hated him for it and he felt, you know, he was entitled. He's like, I'm the leader of the Istari. Surely I'm the wisest and the most powerful. Like, I mean, I have to be the leader of this as well. So his pride was hurt, basically. And the council, uh, the reason the council exists was it was formed to try to defend Middle-earth against Sauron. And Saruman, who already knew more than anyone else about crafting rings and Sauron's power, he started to study Sauron ever more deeply then after the creation of this White Council. And he started to study the lore of the Rings of Power. And perhaps this is when his attraction to this evil started to take root. Um, hmm. And But at this point, he still wasn't evil. It was just like he still had good intentions. But his pride and jealousy and desire for power were all starting to, t- to take hold of him. And as we as I we, we saw before that that sounds kind of like something that Master Yoda mm. would say and he might have a word to them and sit him down like a young Jedi going down the wrong path and just say like yeah. mm, pride leads to <laughs> anger fear leads to jealousy jealousy <laughs> leads to hate and hate leads to the dark side does hate not lead to suffering? suffering <laughs> <laughs> suffering <laughs> <laughs> it's like come on Yoda wrap it up he's got yeah, a list yeah, yeah. of 45 things to go down. <laughs> <laughs> leads to uh, envy. You're like, and okay. Envy leads to grief. Grief yeah. leads to despair. <laughs> <laughs> Wrap it up, Yoda. Yeah, come on. Yeah. So this leads to boredom, Yoda. <laughs> <laughs> so his pride and his jealousy meant that he would eventually stop cooperating with his um with his white council buddies. And no matter whatever he learned, he just kind of kept that to himself. Uh, he also started using the Palantir often, like behind the back of the White Council as well. They didn't know that he had it, so he was there, you know, using the using the Palantir. And uh, yeah, so cane. just <laughs> yeah, so just really kind of starting to go down a bad path, really. Yeah. So there are also signs as well to show that Saruman had started to become very prideful and that his evil intentions started before he ever had contact with Sauron with Sauron through the Palantir. 
And he, because we know we were given a date that he actually first contacted Sauron in the year 3000 of the Second Age. But we know that about 150 years before that, he was already doing these kind of shady things and he was well on his way down the path to the dark side. So um, that's something that's kind of like, it makes you realize that Saruman's failure as an Istar and his fall to the dark side was his own choice, really, and can't be blamed on any sort of manipulation from Sauron as well. So oh, definitely. just something to think about there. So <laughs> food for looking thought. at, yeah, food for thought. Um, looking at the One Ring for a moment as well, where Sauron started uh, studying, uh, sorry, excuse me, Saruman started studying Sauron and he started studying the forging of the Rings of Power more and more and he stopped seeing Sauron as evil and he kind of thought of him more as a rival and he kind of even like respected his work and his creation, especially the One Ring. He was like, that's class. It's yeah. a real ring, like a deadly ring. Um, so here we start to see him intentionally mislead the White Council. It's not just hiding stuff from them anymore. He's actually there giving fake news. He's like, oh, I think that this happened. So he tells them that the One Ring, he tells them that he's got strong, uh, uh, strong evidence to prove that the One Ring has been lost forever in the Great Sea. And he's like, yeah, pretty oh, sure yeah. it's gone, guys. Yeah, it's not around. There's no in point the sea even... or the river? In the sea. In the oh, sea. he says it's in the sea. Yep, it's in the sea. Scoundrel. <laughs> I know, yeah. Sneak. Like, as in, he's like, says it went into the Anduin and it basically, he's like, oh, it flowed down the river and went out into the sea. Of course it did. And <laughs> this is all done so that, like, the White Council would stop searching for the ring or they wouldn't even, they would, they would kind of, like, just forget about it, hopefully, mm. over time, giving Saruman the advantage to finding it before any of them. Uh, but, of course, he would still have to find it before Sauron found it. Um, and then when Gandalf suggested to the White Council that they should attack Dol Guldur, and attack uh, the necromancer, Saruman stepped in and stopped it. Mm. And his motivation was that the One Ring might reveal itself as Sauron's power grew, and that then he might be able to find it and claim it for his own. So instead of trying to stop Sauron finding the one thing that he needed to take over Middle-earth, he actually chose to risk everything just for his own selfish lust of this ring. He was like, oh yeah, I mean... Stop Sauron. Yeah, okay, that's fine. But maybe I could get that one ring. So he's like, I'll let Sauron just keep growing there for a while. So, we, um, so yeah. stupid. So greedy. Yeah, jerk. He can, just so like, then, um, he, he's touched the darkness too much. As uh, Too much touching. <laughs> yeah, he's po- poking the darkness at this point. Um, <laughs> so we know that, like, I mean, he's got a serious superiority complex and he definitely, definitely needed to speak to a psychiatrist. And... Uh, he started to hate Gandalf because everybody liked Gandalf and uh, Gandalf was maybe not as great as Saruman in terms of raw power, but he was really wise and influential and Saruman started to become a bit of bit stalkerish. Then after a while, he took a lot of interest in Gandalf's coming and goings and he thought a lot about anything that Gandalf said and he was a bit intimidated by Gandalf. And so he started to openly mock and humiliate Gandalf, just kind of like a jealous child would, I suppose. Mm. And he also started to secretly copy things that Gandalf did, such as smoking pipeweed in <laughs> private, even though he would publicly criticize Gandalf for doing yeah. that. So um, I've got my got my unfinished tales out here. I'm just going to read a couple of quotes. So reading here from the chapter called The Hunt for the Ring, it says, Yet in truth, Saruman's spying and great secrecy had not in the beginning any evil purpose, but was no more than a folly born of pride. Small matters unworthy it would seem to be reported may yet prove of great moment ere the end now truth to tell observing gandalf's love of the herb that he called pipeweed saruman had affected to scoff at it but in private he made trial of it and soon began to use it and for this reason the shire remained important to him yet he dreaded lest this should be discovered and his own mockery turned against him so that he would be laughed at for imitating gandalf and scorned for doing so by stealth this was the reason for his great secrecy in all his dealings with the Shire, even from the first before any shadow of doubt had fallen upon it. So, interesting. Um, in that little passage, we have the words scorned and Shire twice. Uh, yeah. So, wait, is, what I'm to gather here is that he found the Shire important just because it produced pipeweed. And he's like, well, I can't attack them until much later. And I'm going to stay away from wherever they... <laughs> 
Like, Saruman got hooked on the ganja, right? Okay, yeah, got, I know. And he's got, like, got a bad dose. <laughs> and then, yeah. so he, he would, he would like sneak into the Shire. Like, a, like, he would almost use kind of magic to kind of hide himself. He'd sneak in because that's where all the great dealers were. Mm. And uh, then he would, he'd even start to meddle in, uh, in the Shire later on. He'd put spies in place and all, all around, uh, like in Bree, he had his, his spies. And he did a lot of this because it kind of also gave him satisfaction just to kind of mess around with an area that was kind of dear to Gandalf. And secondly, yeah. because he'd become so paranoid from all that weed uh, <laughs> and he'd become so obsessed with gaining power and status that he couldn't imagine anyone else would be different. So he assumed that Gandalf had his own selfish reasons for having an interest in the Shire. So he was like, he was like, I reckon Gandalf probably thinks that the one ring is in the Shire and he's trying to find it for himself. Like, so it kind of reminds me of Sauron being so power hungry that he couldn't even start to contemplate that someone would want to destroy the one ring instead yeah. of trying to take it for themselves. So we spoke about that in our Sauron episode that he was just so like, what do you mean that someone would try to destroy this ring? It's so powerful. Of course, anybody who comes near it will want to claim it for themselves. So when it turned, <laughs> but then the weird thing was that when it turned out that the one ring was in fact in the Shire, that only confirmed like what Sauron had thought all along. He was like, I knew it. I knew that Gandalf was really behind my back trying to find the one ring without my like uh, without my help and without telling me and he was he, he, that made him even more pissed off because he was like and mm. I'm the expert at rings and Gandalf didn't even bother to come and try and tell me so there's actually a really cool passage in the unfinished tales that I'm going to read as well which gives us a glimpse of the white council meeting in the year 2851 and in it uh, Saruman was advised against an attack on Dol Guldur so uh, reading here, during the council meeting, it says that Gandalf sat apart um, while Saruman spoke against him and he urged that contrary to Gandalf's advice, Dol Guldur should not yet be molested. And continuing here, he says, both the silence and the smoke seemed greatly to annoy Saruman. And before the council dispersed, he said to Gandalf, quote, when weighty matters are in debate, Mithrandir, I wonder a little that you should play with your toys of fire and smoke while others are in earnest speech. But Gandalf laughed and replied, You would not wonder if you use this herb yourself. You might find that smoke blown out cleared your mind of shadows within. Anyway, it gives patience to listen to error without anger. <laughs> so it's a serious dig. He's like, I'm just chilling here and you're, you're spewing such nonsense, but I don't mind because I'm high as, I'm high as a kite. Yeah. So, um... <laughs> Saruman was pretty annoyed by this, and uh, he answered coldly. It says, you jest, Lord Mithrandir, as is your way. I know well enough that you have become a curious explorer of the small, weeds, wild things, and childish folk. Your time is your own to spend if you have nothing worthier to do, and your friends you may make as you please. But to me, the days are too dark for wanderers' tales, and I have no time for the simples of peasants. Then it says that Gandalf did not laugh again, and he did not answer, but looking keenly at Saruman, he drew on his pipe and sent out a great ring of smoke with many smaller rings that followed it. Then he put up his hand as if to grasp them, and they vanished. With that, he got up and left Saruman without another word. But Saruman stood for some time silent, and his face was dark with doubt and displeasure. <laughs> so, it just um, makes me think that like Tolkien definitely came into contact with some other professors who, you know, were like, uh, professor, can you please put your pipe out? Like, that's very distracting when we're trying to talk about serious matters here. And he's like, how do you pipe down there over there? He's like, I'll show them in my yeah. book. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, they're going to write you and you're going to be the bad guy. <laughs> yeah. But the cool thing there is the last part that I was saying about like the smoke, uh, blowing the smoke the rings, rings mm. and then trying to grab at the rings as well, because that action kind of fueled Saruman's it's, it's paranoia. And he, for Saruman. Yeah, well, he, so. He was like kind of going because he was he, he was uh, he, then Saruman was wondering if those were representing the rings of power. And there's actually another part in the book that suggests that this is a warning from Gandalf to Saruman that the rings of power would eventually elude him. That like he mm. was trying to grasp them and they were just they were just disappearing, these smoke rings. So it was like right. no matter how much you try, you're never going to be able to get them. Um, so <laughs> yeah, interesting. that's cool. Yeah, that's a cool little metaphor for him. I also just yeah. like how. Uh, I love that the way that Saruman is like thinking that Gandalf is, you know, hanging out in the Shire because he's like, oh, he definitely, he did, the ring is definitely there, but it's just all about the Kush. Got the great prices, man. <laughs> no, yeah, it's all about the Ganja, Saruman. Yeah. And like having to send his own little scouts and spies 
Bring yeah, because you, you know, to me. Yeah, because you know, like in the Fellowship of the Ring, the movie, mm. he says like the love of the halfling's leaf has clearly it's slowed, slowed your, your mind. mind. So he's like slagging him off for smoking. Yeah. But then in the in the Return of the King, we find in the extended edition where Merry and Pippin like uh, raid one of his oh, yeah. stores. He's got two big barrels of pipeweed. So yeah. um, that's something cool as well that they 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 put that in in the in the movie as well. That is cool. So, I never like, thought about new. that. I I kind of yeah. just assumed like I know they they call it Saruman. What do they call it? Saruman his like storehouse or storeroom, but like yeah. I didn't know that was all for Saruman. I thought like maybe that's for you know some of the staff and the clientele that are working yeah. in Isengard. Like maybe not the <laughs> Urukai, but I don't know. Surely there's some men. Well, that was Saruman's private stash. That's yeah. What it was. Uh, yeah but it's on the so wall anyway. it's like built into the wall isn't it I would have thought like all <laughs> Saruman stuff is like in Orthanc itself <laughs> yeah sure. I don't know well I mean you know we don't know where I don't know where I don't remember if it says in the book where his actual little like storage his little pantry was I'm not <laughs> sure maybe he had one inside the Tower of Isengard but they just showed it in the movies out mm. there where the boys were but um, anyway moving on in the years to come Saruman began to create his own force to compete with Sauron and he crafted his own ring of power as well. Did you know this, Dave? Um, oh. So it is said that Saruman made this a ring. A lesser ring, in, surely. It's a lesser ring, yes. But it was a ring of power. But All I mean, right, yeah. cool. We don't know too much about it, but I'm going to read a little bit from what I could find about this ring. So it right. says that this ring was made in envy of Sauron's abilities to create powerful and great rings of power. At this point in time, all of the knowledge of how to create rings of power had been long lost. People didn't really remember, I suppose. Um mm. But since so, Saruman was like under the tutelage of Arome or uh, Aule, Aule, the smith, mm. then he would have always known how to kind of make He would have known how to make stuff, like how to make yeah. things. But Sauron was the main, like he was the oh, main yeah, master yeah. of... But I mean, like, things, I suppose. It, it's not truly lost if Saruman was under the tutelage of Aule. Like, you know. He, no, not, 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 not everything, but I suppose Sauron discovered the little, like, you know, he... He found the secret ingredient, I suppose. And, you know, he probably... Uh, he didn't even share all of it with Keller Brimbor when he made the rings. So, um, yeah. Anyway, most people were just like... They didn't know how to do it. And Saruman was really studying the lore and trying to make his own ring. So, in the book, in the Fellowship of the Ring, it is stated that Saruman had a certain ring around his finger. And Saruman said, quote, For I am Saruman the Wise, Saruman Ringmaker. And uh, Saruman was also researching a certain ring lore which also stated in the Fellowship of the Ring book. It says here another quote, Saruman, failing to get possession of the One Ring, would have found in Mordor the missing links in his own researches into ring lore. And before long, he would have made a great ring of his own with which to challenge the self-styled ruler of Middle-earth. So if he had gone to study in Mordor, if he'd gone to find the archives in Mordor, maybe he would have found the missing links and he could have possibly made his own ring as powerful as Sauron's, maybe. Um, however, the powers of the ring were never revealed and Saruman, he made a big claim that, you know, it was really powerful and like, had a lot of potency, but sure. know, nobody, knew, nobody knew. He was like, <laughs> my ring's the best ring, you guys, okay? So sure just don't is, ask yeah. any questions. I'm not going to give you any uh, demonstrations, but just trust me. It's pretty bad. Okay? I'm never going to trust so, a guy who calls himself Sharky. Like, just, <laughs> it's not going to happen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So um, we're going to move on. We're going to talk about his powers for a little bit as well. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, but before we do, we should also, we should always remember that in the Lord of the Rings, it's not high fantasy like Harry Potter. And it is based in the world, which would eventually become our earth. So the laws of physics are in place and they are followed for the most part, the same way as in our own world. So apart from Legacy, um, of course, he doesn't follow the laws of physics. Physical. Not at all, not at all. Like he's got his own whole thing going on. He just lives in an alternate dimension. Yeah, standing um, on snow, jumping up falling rocks. He does it all. Look, Climbing up a horse in the opposite direction. <laughs> <laughs> I reckon Orlando Bloom could be like that in real life. Yeah, never that's, that's, that's probably true. <laughs> it seems like something that he would be able to do. So anyway, the word magic then, I suppose, if we take that word... It's often very subtle in Lord of the Rings and in Tolkien's writing. It's not over. The, it's not like people shooting fireballs out their arse or anything like that. Like mm. it's not. That's like, what I do know, after a heavy night of Mexican food. Oh yeah, exactly. I made my own hot sauce recently. Actually, I, I saw that. I never yeah. told you. Oh, yeah, did you? Oh, you did. Did. oh yeah. And uh, oh, did I? oh, I did. Would you I like to share the name of this hot sauce? I will not. I will keep that to myself. <laughs> <laughs> you know, a trademarking and all that. You know, I'm gonna <laughs> exactly, make yeah. a whole brand. <laughs> yeah, very good. I'm excited um, to taste it. 
No, I will. I'll tell people. I called it Johnny's How's Your Arse Hot Sauce. Because that's what you need to ask each other at the following day after you eat. You're like, how's your arse? You're like, oof, it's not great now. <laughs> hot sauce is pretty bad. <laughs> um, so anyway, moving on from my hot sauce. Uh, what was, what was <laughs> the train of thought? <laughs> Something about Saruman. Um yeah. So anyway, uh, yeah, sometimes it's not easy to see uh, the powers of the wizards, like Gandalf as well. Sometimes we don't know exactly mm. what his powers are, and he has a lot of very subtle powers that maybe go unnoticed. So some people might think that this is a bit of a missed opportunity, and it could be cool to have wizardly powers like the genie in Aladdin or something. But <laughs> personally, I definitely prefer it this way. And even if sometimes you're not sure if something was just like mere luck or if it was actually magic, it's kind of mm. cool to have that like, oh, I don't know, maybe there was some sort of magic involved there. Yeah. So Saruman is portrayed as being of great knowledge and some of his actions may have been perceived as crazy magic by people who lived in that time. But the reality is just a lot of his powers were just science ahead of his time because he was also, he was known for making devices Made such as bomb. bombs. Yeah. Like that. Yeah, exactly. Like, and Grimm is just like, how, how can, how can this bring down stone? What are you yeah. talking about? This how is madness. Fire yeah. Bring down stone. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. So that's a lot of it as well. So um and even Gandalf admits that it was thanks to the devices of Saruman that Dol Guldur was destroyed. So we don't get too much more information about that, but that's kind of cool as well. Hmm. He was so he was like he was like Da Vinci, Einstein. like he was like or, the Da Vinci yeah. of his time. Yeah, and he was just thinking up these inventions beyond the realms of imagination of the others. So, you know, he's a real Renaissance man, I suppose. Uh, Saruman. Leonardo um, de Sharkey. <laughs> um but apart from these acts of intelligence, he also did possess gifts that some may consider unnatural. <laughs> <laughs> and the one that stands... What's the one that stands out, Dave, when I say, what are Saruman's powers? Uh, I don't know. Intelligence? One, no, what's... When you just think of Saruman compared to like more than Gandalf, for example, he definitely has one so entire chapter dedicated to it. <laughs> Uh, go on black I'll help yeah, you out. On, yeah give me a clue there's a chapter entitled The Voice of Saruman oh right okay his his manipulation and being able to like overpower someone with the, with his own voice or just yeah the, the, the fact that his his voice is so powerful try not to listen to his voice because he can manipulate you <laughs> no I'm just talking about he's a tenor and he's an amazing singer <laughs> he is an amazing the voice singer. the voice <laughs> of Saruman the voice of the voice of that lad <laughs> He's amazing, yeah. Yeah, we. So yeah, actually, did, the did voice we, of Christopher Lee is incredible. As well. I, I listened to that. I'm not sure if, if I sent them to you or not. Like ages ago, like him singing about the the doors of, the doors of Durin. You always do that. I know. Yeah. yeah. Um. I think does he have a song about the doors of Durin? Yeah, and it's he just, does. It's class. Oh, it's so yeah. cool. His voice is unbelievable. Yeah. And, uh, we're speaking about Christopher Lee to people now. We're not not actually just about Saruman, but mm. Sar- Christopher Lee is Saruman. So there you go. What That's a perfect nice. casting. Um. Oh, amazing. Amazing. Yeah. So that is the one that is the one power that's like really kind of unique, I suppose, to Saruman. Just is, they call it the voice of Saruman. Right, yeah. And it's um, and as I said, we get an entire uh, chapter in the Fellowship of the Ring entitled The Voice of Saruman. And so we know that he could speak to almost anyone on Middle Earth and convince them to do whatever he wanted. And he was just extremely convincing and he could make anything sound believable. Like he could tell the most staunch atheist that no no there is a god and that person would immediately join yeah. priesthood it's just like <laughs> all right okay i believe it completely and um it's just jedi mind tricks that's that's what he has like basically these are not kind of yeah. you are looking for count dooku you know just uh yeah exactly <laughs> christopher lee again so we also see then what tolkien calls actual spells when we see that he ensnares the mind of king theoden of rohan where he says right. the king quote fell into decline under the spells of Saruman. So uh, there we actually hear the word spell. So um, Tolkien for once making it more obvious, I suppose. And we don't know if it's because of spells, uh, but he has also convinced all of the Dunlending men to go to war with Rohan. And he also keeps an army of these insane mini monsters in check, including wargs. So he's got to be pretty convincing and powerful and, uh, you know, authoritarian uh, to be able to, you know, lead these types of huge armies and, you know, have them 
to not have them revolt and not have them kind of turn against him, I suppose. Yeah, I, I always thought of that as, I know I, I forgot it at the time, but the voice of Saruman, when you, when you said like, what is his biggest power or something, I was just trying to think of some sort of magic spell thing. But mm. yeah, the whole voice of Saruman thing, I always kind of, even him poisoning the mind of Theoden and him like casting spells on Theoden, but it's all kind of done through Grima in a way and I always imagined yeah. it's like Saruman's voice is so strong it's passing through another person to manipulate Theoden and actually like yeah. put a spell on him yeah. and I kind of put that down to the same level of magic and the same kind of way he can convince the Dunlendings to attack Rohan and and, uh, yeah, and like how he how he eventually like captures the mind of Theoden. It's 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 not just like like cast a quick spell on him. Yeah. It's a lot of like sowing seeds of self doubt into Theoden. So Theoden just doesn't believe that he's the right man to lead, and he's got like, all this like it's really really cool. It's way more complex than we just like. And poof, you're under my spell. Yeah. You know, it's and again, I remember like I used to think of the voice of Sauron as like he was you know, really good at hypnosis and you just cast it like, put you into a trance. But I'm going to read something here as well, actually a passage from the Tolkien Gateway speaking about his powers. And we're going to see that it's not actually that way. It's not actually just as obvious as hypnosis. It's actually, after reading this, I thought it was kind of cool. It's even, it's even better. Mm. So reading here from Tolkien Gateway, it says, knowledge of the deep arts or magic, such as it is in Middle Earth, was of particular interest to Saruman especially when relating to power such as the Rings of Power and the far-seeing Palantiri. He was also deeply learned in ancient lore regarding powerful kingdoms such as Numenor, Gondor, and Moria. His voice and speech were extremely convincing, more powerful than mere rhetoric. When he focused this power on a person or a group of people, he could sway their hearts, plant fears, and sow lies as he pleased. According to the stature of the listener, this spell could last as long as the speech did, or it could take root in them and last forever. Saruman's voice was so powerful that he was able to convince the Witch King that he knew nothing of the One Ring or the Shire. His voice was not hypnotic, however, rather it was persuasive, and the real danger the voice posed to the listener was not them falling into a trance, but agreeing with it. Aside from his voice, Saruman had other subtle abilities, such as giving great speed and motivation to his orcs at a distance and setting his will against all those in his dominion that might oppose him. Aragorn takes note of this ability while tracking the party of orcs holding Merry and Pippin hostage. Saruman also seems to be able to move around totally unheard by others, as there are numerous examples of him using this ability. Several examples include him sneaking up on Aragorn, Gimli and Legolas's camp in the Riders of Rohan chapter, this wholly unheard entrance in the Voice of Sauron chapter, and his quiet but sudden appearance to the hobbits in the Scouring of the Shire chapter. Other powers include knowledge of machinery and chemistry, probably separable from explicit magic, uh, for instance the Blasting Fire quote, uh, which was employed by his Urukai army in the Battle of Helm's Deep, was some kind of chemical explosive. His science also extended into biological areas. He is believed to have crossbred men and orcs, creating a new race of orcs unafraid of daylight. The dreaded Urukai, a major improvement on Sauron's thralls who hated daylight. His mannish spies in Bree were said to have orc blood, giving them heightened senses over ordinary men. He also employed scavenger birds in his service. And being regarded as more powerful than Gandalf, at least before Gandalf became Gandalf the White, it's fair to assume he would also wield explicit magic similar to Gandalf, such as artificial light, locking spells, and creating fire, etc. So, uh, as I said, that was from the Tolkien Gateway. So I thought that was pretty cool, especially, mm. I, we, we got into more of a list of just his powers there, but uh, at the beginning, speaking about his voice, where he was saying how um, it's not really, uh, it doesn't put people into, into a trance. It's just, it makes people actually agree. believe what he's saying yeah. and agree with him. And so he's just like a really amazing speaker, like a politician or an yeah. incredible salesperson or something. You come out of a meeting with a salesperson and be like, no, no, I, I need to buy this because I do want yeah. to give him my two arms. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. But just like, you're like, no, this is actually, this would be a really good idea to, to do this. Like, so yeah, yeah, that's yeah. what's really kind of cool. And, yeah. and like, so, I, I do think Peter Jackson, obviously just, you have to commend him on everything he's done for the Lord of the Rings. But again, just the casting of Sir Christopher Lee has an extremely powerful voice, but like the things he does, even when Saruman is attacking 
um the the fellowship when they're when they're on Caradras. And like he's doing it through his voice, and you actually feel the power of his voice. Like Gandalf is like, there is an echo in the air, or someone says there is a fell voice in the air. I can't remember. Legolas, yeah. Legolas. And Legolas. then Gandalf is like, it's Saruman. <laughs> and then he's that's such a class scene. Yeah, but you like, gotta watch that with like it. good surround sound speakers. Yeah. Like, it's just and, like and like you just feel it's like almost a power of his voice, like like coming from his mouth and going all the way to Caradhras. And uh, yeah. yeah, it's almost like the spell is coming from his his own voice and he's, he's convincing the mm. weather to <laughs> attack the fellowship. It's amazing, yeah. How good uh, is that? I absolutely, I absolutely love the scene when Gandalf arrives at uh, Orthanc as well. Oh, yeah. And it's narrated by Christopher Lee. And he's like, the moon sets on the Shire and Gandalf the Grey rides to Isengard. And then it and changes... And then it changes, yeah, because yeah. that's like the like that's the that's him speaking uh, into a microphone like this, and then it's like, is that not why you have come? <laughs> exactly, and he's up on the stairs like, is that not why you have come? Oh, it's so my good, friend. Yeah. yeah, I want to watch it right now. Oh, God, yeah, straight after this, straight after record, we're turning on the fellowship. <laughs> um, Marathon, yeah, class. So um, we're nearly there. We're nearly finished. But I want to ask you, um, mm-hmm. what happened to Saruman after he died? And when I say Saruman, I mean his spirit, because oh. we know that he was a Maya or an Istar. That's a good question. Uh, I presume he went to the halls of Mandos, and he at least knocked on the door and asked if he could come in. And he went was to, went to Nando's. <laughs> yeah, they went to the halls chicken. of Nando's. <laughs> um, yeah, and and he was let in, and he was forgiven. And they all uh, forgave. No. <laughs> <laughs> he went to the void. Um, now I just um, I was just looking into this and I saw this question asked and answered on Cora.com. Uh, so I just I just uh, stole this answer off a man called Jim Jagielski from Cora. So thank nice. you, Jim, for this answer. Great centre um, back for Everton. <laughs> Everton centre back. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Jag- Jagielka. What was Jagielka? What was his first name? Ah, Jagielka. Uh, oh, God, that's a good question. Come back to me. Jim? <laughs> Maybe it's the same guy. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so, he spends his time on Cora answering like deep mytho- melodical or Lord of the Rings questions. Melodical? Yeah. <laughs> Mythological? <laughs> oh, I can't even think of the word. It's getting late. Right. Anyway, moving on. So the question, what happened to Saruman after he died? So again, thanks to, to Jim Jabby, uh, Jim, Jim Jagielski. <laughs> I'm sorry, Jim, if I messed up your name. Anyway, so in Middle Earth, all beings had souls or fea. And when great beings died, such as elves or Maiar, their spirits are called to the halls of Mandos for judgment, reflection. Kind of a bit of a purgatory sort of situation mm. going on there. So for men, it's unknown where their spirits go, but it is known that their spirits, their souls do exist, and it is thought that they escape the circles of the world and venture off into the unknown. Certainly, when Gandalf was slain, this is what happened to his soul, when meaning going back to the halls of Mandos, uh, until it was sent back to Middle-earth by Eru Iluvatar. Um, but this should not be assumed to be the normal action, should one of the Istari die. Of course not, they should, they're not all going to just be sent back to Middle-earth. Um, that was special because Gandalf was really the only one that was doing his performing his task well. So it says here, instead, when that bond is broken, the wizard's soul would return to Valinor, but not be allowed to return to Middle-earth. Not as a punishment, but rather a condition of the event that they would no longer be allowed to influence or impact the continuing mission of the remaining Istari. So a normal case if an Istar dies is that he just goes back to Halls of Mandos and he stays there for purgatory and, you know, they, he will be judged there. So in Lord of the Rings, it is said that when Saruman was killed, a grey mist appeared rising slowly and looking to the west when a wind from the west blew and dissolved the mist. Remember, the west is where Valinor is. So it looked to the west, this grey mist, and then it got blown out and kind of just got dissolved by this wind. From this, we can assume that Saruman's spirit attempted to return to Valinor, which, after all, was its home, but was denied due to his failure in his mission. We can further assume that Saruman's fea was diminished and no longer had the ability to form a body, greatly decreasing his ability to influence the visible world. We could guess that Saruman's spirit, like Sauron's, was left naked in the world, diminished to the point of existing but unable to interact in any significant way. So there you go. That's nice. That's that question. <laughs> there you go. So he just 
left there floating around. He's just a ghost. He's just yeah. a spooky, spooky ghost to haunt <laughs> Middle Earth for the rest of time, I suppose. To never find rest. So I don't know. Again, that's that's the answer that I got from Quora.com. Mm. Uh, if anybody else has a better answer that they would like to send into us, please get in touch. Uh, you'll find all of our links in the podcast description and you can send us anything there. Send us cake as well. Mm. You know, whatever you want. I so think yeah. he probably so, possessed somebody else. That's what he did. He went straight into somebody else's mouth and just became... He went into Bull Roar to... Oh, no, he's long dead. He went into, hmm, someone's mouth. Who's still around that's yeah. still alive there? One of the Lobelia Sackville Baggins. <laughs> Lobelia. Yeah. Oh, by the way, <laughs> Phil Jagielka. I remembered it. Phil, there. good man. Phil. Good man. Or well Jagielka, as some people said. <laughs> Congratulations. Thank mm. you. Where's my trophy? Phil's probably remember that same absolute thing. cracker of a goal that he scored uh, yeah. towards the end of his career. He yeah. scored a goal for 40 yards. And you're like, what is going on? Yeah. How, why, why was he even attempting that shot? Probably Crazy. even centre back. Yeah. It's like a company's goal against, was it Leicester yeah. at the end of the season to win the, to win the to win league? The, to win the league, pretty much. Yeah. Mm. Um, I think it might be against Leicester. You might be right. Um, anyway, so at the end of the day, this is what we know it's about Saruman. Yeah, at the end of the day, it's nighttime. So what do we know? What have we learned about Saruman? Hopefully we've learned a couple of things today. So we know that he was originally a Maya who followed Aule the Smith. And it was Aule who was responsible for the crafting of the substances of Middle-earth itself, like the rocks and the soil, the mountains, etc. And he was very skillful with the works of his hands. And you would expect Saruman as one of his Maya uh, to have a good deal of, uh, of smithcraft himself and to have learned quite a lot. So... In Valinor, he was known as we said Kurumo, and I didn't tell you, but Kurumo actually means the skillful one. So, of course, we know that Sauron, the Dark Lord, was once a Maya under Aule as well, and he was also well known for his smithcraft. So maybe this is in all way connected or linked. And what we're seeing is that the beings most likely to become corrupt are those who create and craft their own designs. Perhaps creation leads to pride, and pride leads to jealousy jealousy to anger <laughs> and eventually you find yourself all the way down the path of the dark side against yoda's wishes and <laughs> naked in the dark naked in the dark <laughs> and that seems to be what has happened to our man Sauron. oh that's so awful our, yeah like that could be the reason because of creation but it, it could just also be maybe Aule was a bad teacher maybe he was just a bad maybe dude. I mean, yeah, can you imagine? How many people did he have in his class and two of them turned out to be these absolute disasters? You know? Yeah, like, um, how many bad people are there in Middle-earth? There's Melkor, Saruman, and Sauron. And, like, two of them were, were had the same chemistry teacher or the same uh, whatever yeah. it was. What was it? Mountain he? building teacher. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mountain. Oh, no, yeah, I mean, maybe chemistry, woodwork, all the kind of, like, you know, hands-on. Hands-on, hands-on yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, there you have so, it. anyway, yeah. Maybe we should investigate Aule. Yeah, maybe he's anyone maybe looked into him. Like he's got away scot free. Yeah, yeah. So there you go. Tell me, what words of comfort did you give the halfling before you sent him to his doom? The path that you have set him on can only lead to death. So that's it guys that'll just about do it for another episode of the Council of Elrond we really hope that you enjoyed this deep dive into the character of Sauruman hopefully you learned something interesting and had a laugh or two along the way and please get in touch if you uh, think that we missed out on anything that you would have included or if you just want to say hello uh, we'd really love to hear from you on any of our social media or if you'd like to buy us a coffee the links are in the podcast description or down below the video in YouTube um, and you can also there find our link to our Patreon you can become a member and that is really the best way to support us to give us a couple of euros if you would like to do so so also thank you so much to all of our members who already do that you guys are amazing you are the best and of course a big uh, thank you and shout out to Jack Knightley so remember if you do go and see us on YouTube don't forget to give us a like share uh, tell your friends tell your moms uh, and that's it uh, until then we'll see you next time guys yeah guys goodbye subscribe leave a like love you bye <laughs>